the last 18 months, more private hedge funds have lost money, gone bankrupt than in the bottom 2008 financial crisis. Why? Because price discovery, which basically means what is the fair value of a, a share? What should a currency be priced at? Everything that we've been using for the last 120, 140 years no longer applies because central banks are printing money. So when you print money, the value of something denominated in dollars cannot be calculated the same way. This is Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host, Ferris, that's me, and Gordon from Coin Compass. We're Bitcoin advisors and educators supporting business and individual investors to safely buy, manage, and control their private keys, Bitcoins. This podcast is strictly educational and is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Full disclaimer in the show notes and at the end of this episode. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, everyone, wherever you are listening to this. The current block time is a block height of 618,163. Do I even need to mention like what that is in normal time? Because I'm just assuming everyone knows that that means 20th of February, 2020. I think we let people figure it out, Gordon. Yeah, I, I think we just use block time from now on because that's what it is, blockchain. Um, exactly. Two really quick things before we start. One, can you share this video, please, with your friends on social media? So whether you're on YouTube or listening to this on a podcast player, please share it. We would certainly appreciate it. And secondly, we've got an upcoming Q&A episode. So instead of us reading out your questions and you emailing them in, we want to hear from you. So please record a message, email it to us. You can email it at Gordon or Farris at coincompass.com. But the easiest way to record it is actually to go to coincompass.com slash ask, A-S-K, and that actually takes you to a web page that you can just use on your phone, hit the big record button, record it, re-record it if you need to, and then click the button send and we'll get that recording automatically. All right, without further ado, let's get stuck into why Bitcoin trading is going to be different in 2020. All right, Gordon. So why is Bitcoin trading going to be different in 2020 and from now on? Um, so first of all, I'll give a brief history of Bitcoin trading. Um, so A, we actually don't endorse or recommend trading. Our stance at CoinCompass is purely buy and huddle. Um, huddle is you know, an acronym for hold on for dear life or hold your Bitcoin simply because of the volatility, but we believe it is a long-term store of value. Even though it is designed to be a peer-to-peer currency, we think for a long time it's a sort of value story. And that's something we've, we've talked about a lot in our publications and our podcasts. But why will it be different for traders? Um, there are a lot more options available for traders on margin trading, for example. But the number one reason I think it's going to be different is that people who have been trading Bitcoin are people that kind of got in early. and they haven't had to compete against your professionally trained Wall Street traders. When I say Wall Street, it's basically anyone who um, works for a private hedge fund, anyone who's a full-time commodities, currencies, derivative trader. And these guys, it's not so much the skills that they have, it's the amount of money behind them. So uh, technical analysis in Bitcoin has served really well. I think it's going to get more difficult because you're going to be competing against people 
with a lot more money. Now, the okay. question here is why would that change? <laughs> okay, so just before we answer that question, let's uh, compare someone like me, a total noob, uh, lost a lot of money trading, made a lot of money trading, but you consider me, me a retail trader. I mean, okay, maybe I'm only trading a couple of Bitcoins or whatever and, and Wall Street are trading or a hedge fund is trading uh, hundreds, thousands, millions of Bitcoins. But what is the actual difference when you're competing a retail versus Wall Street trader? So what will happen with a Wall Street trader um, or a commercial trader as opposed to a retail one is they basically can afford to make deliberately make a loss in order to make a profit. So with that, let's say right now Bitcoin's trading, and in this week it's been trading um, around that $10,000 um, platform, just not closing above it, but really bouncing up and down. And we've had 10% swings in like an hour. So with that, if you're a short-term trader and say, you go, okay, um, it's gone above $10,000. I think it's going to go higher. It's going to start its whole trip to the moon again. So I'll buy at $10,200 just to make sure that, yep, it's clear 10000 It's on the way. And you're thinking, I'll put my stop at 9800 So you're at 10200 Your stop's at 9800 And you think the moon's on Great. But these volatile swings will just take out your stops. Now, with that, um, a lot of people... Um, when they trade within a hard stop. So what that means is you go on the system and you'll put in an order to buy at 10200 and an order to sell at 9800 Now, those orders can be visible. So it comes up on the order book. You'll see, okay, and someone with a lot of money will go, okay, there's quite a few contracts to sell at 9800 So they'll start selling now. So your order gets triggered at 10,200, it starts going up, you hit 10,400, you think, yay, feeling good. Then this huge wall of selling starts hitting and it goes down and it takes out your stop. And you think, oh crap, I've been stopped out. Only within minutes, hours, days, usually it's minutes, you see it completely skyrocket and get back in. And you go, oh no, I've missed my shot. And then you'll start chasing the FOMO. So what have you done? You've just donated your cash to someone that had a lot more money to play with. You could afford to basically um, wipe out those stops, buy in. So that what they've done is they've sold at 10,400. They um, close their shorts at 9,800. Money go lower. They buy lower and then watch it go up and they buy more at that point. Because they've got more money, they can see the order book, they can basically control it. So that's why I think it's going to be a lot different for Bitcoin, because early on you had, you did have some whales. So a whale is someone who controls a lot of money and can move the market. So a market mover or a whale, that's someone who with their order will actually change the market. If you go in and you buy Bitcoin right now, you're a market player, you're not a market mover. A market mover is someone who will move the price. We've got a lot more market movers now than we had in the previous few years. So that's why the landscape is changing because we've got hedge funds that have been set up deliberately to invest in Bitcoin. And they are now competing against each other as well as against the little guy. And the little guy won't be able to compete. So that makes sense. Uh, you know, these big wells and 
and these kind of people are sort of the bullies in the playground. And I have actually been stopped out twice on a flash crash when I was tra trading uh, altcoins versus bitcoins. And, um, you know, the price went down by 30% in the matter of a couple of seconds and then went straight back up again and it completely wiped me out and, and whatever. So I certainly learned my lesson. But in terms, I mean, you have terms of day trading or at least um, swing trading. Does that still apply to like macro trading? sort of these longer time frames? Yes. So what we've had since, um, and I'm, I'm going to talk now more about conventional markets. So I've, I was a conventional day trader, swing trader, sorry, um, of derivatives and currencies before I found out about Bitcoin, or not before I found out about Bitcoin, before I really started digging into Bitcoin. And I remember the most stressful thing I did was going from hard stops to soft stops. So hard stops is, yep, your stop is in place. So um, I would buy equity. So let's say, and I remember when Apple was trading at $100. And as a swing trader, I'm waiting for Apple to break out. So I'm not going to buy Apple at $99 because I believe that $100 is that psychological point. I have a lot of sellers there. So I'm going to wait for it to really clear that $100. So I'll be buying Apple at like $102. Then I believe that $100 is a good support level. And it's unlikely to go below that. So I'll set my stop at like $96 and I'll actually have a hard stop on my platform. So that stop, that order for me to sell my Apple is there and it's visible. That's a sleep at night factor. I go, okay, there's my risk management. I'm in at 102. I'm out at 94. I know how much I can lose if I get stopped out at $94. But because of um, bots entering the system, um, so a lot of bots trading, there's a lot more volatility and you get these flash crashes, like you say, they actually are set up to deliberately do the math and figure out if we take out this stop at $96, how much are we going to lose versus the swing back to 104. And they're running that algorithm and they're designed to deliberately take out stops. Yeah. So on recommendation, I move to soft stops, which basically means I will buy Apple at $102. I will put in an alert for when Apple hits $97. I get an alert on my phone. Apple's hit $97. It's just an alert. I actually do not have a stop in place. By the time I log in and check out what's actually happening with Apple, if it's a flash crash, the price has already bounced back. So I go, okay, it's bounced back. And then... That's if you're a day trader. If you're a swing trader, you're looking at daily charts. If you see a long shadow, it's hit your stop loss, then you put in the hard stop. When I moved to soft stops, it was stressful to begin with, but far more lucrative on my trading because it would just take out those, those um, flash crashes, those huge intraday volatility swings would not be affected. This you don't want to do in crypto because... You're talking a difference between a few percentage points to 10, 15, 20 percentage points in a day. Yeah, so you don't suggest using, I mean, I, I actually, it's funny, we haven't really discussed this before, but I do the same sort of thing. But um, nowadays, I don't really trade. It's more of a dollar cost average, you know, once a month or whatever it is, and just get in there and uh, buy and hold. But you're, you're talking about people who, you know, want to trade Bitcoin. They don't want to just buy it and maybe sell on the, a massive sort of uh, monthly or weekly charts. Yeah, so trading crypto, tr um, trading bitcoins, very very stressful because of huge volatility swings. 
Um, and yeah, I, I haven't done it for a very long time. I haven't bought Bitcoin on margin. Um, not since it broke out from 10 grand the first time, which was 2017. I haven't traded it since then. It's just those numbers. When you're talking a 10, 15% swing on 10 grand, that's $15,000. On 15 grand, you're talking $3,000. That's, you know, and that's on one position. It's just too expensive to trade. And uh, with the margins as well, um, depends on, and some brokers, excuse me, if you're using conventional um, CFD brokers, which I use, that's contracts for a difference, um, you need 15, 20%, even 25% margin just to buy. And then you need a margin to maintain the account. Other things like BitMEX, um, your, the margins are much lower, but there's a huge carry cost. There's decay in holding a position because if you're buying Bitcoin, you're technically borrowing from someone, so you're paying out. So if there's no, if you're not in and out of positions quickly, every eight hours, there's a decay. It's like an option. You're paying for the right to hold that position, and it's really expensive. So what you're saying is buy Bitcoin on BitMEX with 100x leverage. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, I misunderstood you. <laughs> so, and this is why, like, and I, people told me how, you know, because you told me about Bitcoin long before Mt. Gox hacked. Hmm. Um, I was telling other people about it when it was around $600, $700. The advice I was giving to people was just buy and hold. Now, yeah. do you think that's what I did? No. I oh, traded in and out. And I, I did the worst thing you should have. I traded in and out because at the time, there's just no, um, there's no price, um, price discovery or volatility in any other asset class, which is another story. And that's why a lot of people ended up moving to trading crypto because it actually was really clean to trade. Um, your currencies at the moment, your equities are being seriously manipulated by central banks. And that's just because of the quantitative easing stuff. It's, there is, you know, it's wiped, more hedge funds have been wiped out in the last 18 months than 2008 financial crisis. So I'll repeat that. In the last 18 months, more private hedge funds have lost money, gone bankrupt than in the bottom 2008 financial crisis. Why? Because price discovery, which basically means what is the fair value of a, a share? What should a currency be priced at? Everything that we've been using for the last 120, 140 years no longer applies because central banks are printing money. So when you print money, the value of something denominated in dollars cannot be calculated the same way. That's a really good point. And talking about price discovery, I noticed back in the day. And let's let's not go through all our horror stories because it'll just depress me about how much Bitcoin I lost and probably should have had um, trading uh, crappy old coins. Um, when you're talking about price discovery, back in the day, it's not as big problem now. But there was a massive arbitrage between exchanges, and you even see that now. You see perhaps the price on Bitstamp and Kraken and Binance slightly different. Is that uh, the lack of price discovery, is that still a problem, do you think, in, in Bitcoin, like trading on one exchange versus another? Yeah, so with that, for people who knew what they were doing in the early days, absolutely. You would basically buy um, Bitcoin on one exchange for, say, and this is back in the day, for you know, $700. 
sell those Bitcoins on another exchange for $770. And then buy again, sell again. And people were cleaning up just buying and selling. It wasn't trading. It wasn't a margin. It was pure arbitrage. But that once Bitcoin passed, I think $3,000, I think it was around that mark that you basically saw all of the exchanges clean up. And they're not clean up, but come back to basically the same value where you just, it just wasn't worth it at that point. Yeah, so one, one obvious difference between traditional markets and what we're kind of used to, and I'm going to assume most of the people listening here would be in the category of retail traders like myself, uh, what is, apart from the obvious difference of Bitcoin is 24-7, what's the difference between a 24-7 market and, you know, a traditional um, stock market or trading? So there's a huge difference. And it's funny you mentioned, I saw a tweet today, actually, where CNBC was interviewing Mark Yusko. And, um, and he was talking about Bitcoin. And at the bottom was... Bitcoin drops 10% in after hours trading. And I didn't make this point. Someone else did on the tweet was there is no after hours trading in Bitcoin. It's 24 seven. It's the only asset class, as far as I know, that actually trades 24 seven. I think it is like crypto is the only one that trades 24 seven. There is no after hours. Now that is really important because a, it brings up what we call gaps. So you won't see this on Bitcoin and trading view. But um, if you go, even just bring up the stock, um, the, uh, if you're a trading view or just your Bloomberg or Metastock um, charting service, whichever one you use, and just look up the um, NDX or the S&P 500, and you'll see lately we have had so many gaps in the market. So what is a gap? So let's say it's um, Tuesday today, the S&P closes at $3,100. Tomorrow, it opens at 3115 there's a gap of $15. Now there's a saying in the markets that gaps get filled. So that $15, that 3,100 to 3,115, that gap is going to get filled, which means at some point the market's going to drop below 3,115 and hit that gap. And it might just be for a few minutes, but there's a saying that gaps get filled. And we've actually seen this when the, um, the CME released Bitcoin futures. Bitcoin futures are not traded 24-7. They're traded during business hours. And we've had gaps in Bitcoin futures, not in Bitcoin itself. And we wrote about this, I think, about 18 months ago. Gaps on semi futures have been filled. It does happen. I can't explain why. I don't know if it's purely psychological, but gaps get filled, but it doesn't mean they're going to get filled this week, next month. They could take years to get filled. Mm. Okay, so let's uh, zoom out a little bit. Um, a lot of people listening um, may have bought Bitcoin before, they might not have, but when they go onto an exchange, even if they're not going to trade, they see something pretty confusing. They see BTC slash USD, which is obviously Bitcoin to US dollar. Um, forgetting about all the other stable coins like USDT and USDC and blah, blah, blah. They also see BTC slash ETH, Ethereum, BTC slash XRP or what about that? Um, what's the deal there? And what if someone wants to dabble in trading, what, what should they do? So this is one thing people really need to be aware of Bitcoin. So when you're buying Bitcoin, you're exchanging your dollars, euro, yen, real, whatever it is for Bitcoin. Pretty simple. You're just buying Bitcoin with the currency that comes out of your bank account. 
when you're trading Bitcoin, um, and even if it is, so let's say, okay, I'm in Australia and I buy Bitcoin. Well, and then I want to trade it. So first I buy Bitcoin with my Australian dollars. To trade it, Bitcoin is then traded against the US dollar. So let's say BTC USD, that's Bitcoin to US dollar. So I've now got a double currency conversion I've got to look up. I need to sell my Bitcoins into US dollar for profit. If, I'm, if that's what I'm doing, if I'm trading, I want to make a, so I want Bitcoin to go up against US dollar. But then if the US dollar goes um, down against the Australian dollar, I'm losing money in that conversion because I've got to get it back into my Australian bank account. So I'm looking at a double currency. It gets even more complicated if you are, say, buying Bitcoin against Ethereum. So you've gone Australian dollars to buy Bitcoin. Now you are selling Bitcoin against the value of Ethereum. So let's say the value of Ethereum goes down, which means I've lost on that trade. So I was hoping that Ethereum against Bitcoin will go up, but it goes down. So I've lost on that trade, so I close that trade. Then I have to, if I want to get my money back, I've got to sell Bitcoin into US, um, the Ethereum into US dollar and then convert the US dollar into Australian dollars. Sometimes you can't even do that. You go Ethereum into Bitcoin and then Bitcoin to US dollar, US dollar into Australian dollars. So there's so many currency swaps you now have to keep track of. So with that, people that are trading, you kind of need to get into the mindset of the money that I'm going to put into that account is play money. If I lose all of it, I'm happy to lose all of it. And you trade currency against currency. Um, so I actually, because I kind of live between two different countries now, legally, tax, you know, and even from the tax department listening, I am a legal tax resident of two separate countries. So I'm moving currencies between the two. And that can take a week to two weeks. And I've had banks call me saying, you haven't paid this bill because it takes too long. I've actually decided I'm just going to probably move my paycheck into Bitcoin and use Satoshi's living room to pay my bills mm. because it is faster. So my mentality has to change from converting Australian dollars into New Zealand dollars into US dollars and just go, okay, from Bitcoin is where everything goes. And I'm not talking about a lot of money. I don't have, you know, don't, don't I really have any, I don't have any significant Bitcoin at the moment. I made the mistake of trading them. But to me, that just seems easier. If I could get money around the world and pay bills, just use Bitcoin. And it is volatile, but it's not as volatile as what it used to be on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I do something similar with other cryptos. Paying your bills is so easy nowadays with these uh, connecting services between fiat, Bitcoin, and your bank or your credit card or whatever it is. But uh, one of the things that I realized when I first started trading was that when you see a price pump, you will see, you know, Bitcoin to US dollar obviously goes up. But you see some of these altcoins and some of these altcoins go up like crazy. So Bitcoin's maybe going up 5% in a day. Some crazy altcoin that I decided to FOMO into is going up, you know, 50% or whatever that. And I get really excited because my balance or what I'm comparing the amount that I've got to US dollar is actually going up. But it took probably a little while to sort of realize that, yeah, okay, apart from the fact that that's kind of suicide, you're FOMOing in and that's a really good way to lose your money. But yeah. secondly, it's like I was basically accumulating more US dollar 
But if I really believe in Bitcoin, and I believe Bitcoin is sort of the future of money, and I'm not talking about you know taking over the world, I'm just talking about even if it's a complementary currency, then you should try to accumulate more Bitcoin instead of accumulating more US dollars. So I kind of changed my mindset, and it is really difficult. Instead of accumulating more US dollar by trading Bitcoin against US dollar, I would trade Bitcoin against these alts. And some of these alts are pumping, like Ethereum or XRP or you know, whatever. And then I would sell that altcoin back into Bitcoin. And now I have more Bitcoin than I started with. Now, there's one problem with that. When the market's going up, that's great. When the market's sort of going down or whatever, you may be actually going down in terms of US dollar, but your Bitcoin stash is actually going up. So it's a bit of a strange mindset. What, what do you think about all that? Yeah, absolutely. So for one, the US dollar and all other currencies are actually designed, inherently designed to lose value. It's called a utility tax. And um, what you just mentioned reminds me of an interview, and we've written about this as well, by Steve Bregman. He is the um, CEO of Kinetic Advisors, if I'm remembering that correctly. It's a hedge fund that manages $5 billion. And he said exactly that. He said the US dollar is designed to lose currency. If I'm getting my money out of US dollar and this is something else, then I've already won by removing it from something that's designed to lose in value. And yeah, you can look this up. You just see the purchasing power of the US dollar and all of G20 currencies have been steadily coming down you know, because they're not designed um, to be in inflation hedges. They're, def they're deflationary. Bitcoin is not. Bitcoin is not deflationary. So it's actually designed, it's designed to be a hedge against inflation. So exactly, by not being saving your money in fiat, getting it out of there, you are getting those volatile swings. But the difference is you then have, you're then expecting capital appreciation in Bitcoin as well. So as a currency, it's not losing value, but as an asset unto itself, yes, it can lose value. So when you get in and get out, that depends. But if you buy Bitcoin today, you sell those Bitcoins in five years, you've made money because had you left that money in cash, the interest you'd make on it is less than inflation. Mm. So it's a hedge against inflation more than anything else. Absolutely. And um, the one more point you mentioned in there I want to bring up is um, when you talk about getting in on FOMO. So this is something that's happening in crypto, but not just in crypto as well. Now, you'll find on Bloomberg, CNBC, all the um, financial media channels, They'll be interviewing someone who was a hedge fund manager or he writes a uh, newsletter and he's a market mover. So this is a guy who I said, he can say something and it will influence the markets. And he'll go on and let's just say um, he talks about, uh, make one up, um, acne stocks. So acne says, uh, we're recommending to all our readers that they buy acne stocks. We think it's a really good price. Now, this guy is managing hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. You would have to pay several thousands of dollars for his newsletter. And when I say several thousand, he's not like you know, six, six figures, 100 grand to be part of the service. Why is he going on and giving away free advice? He's not. What he's doing is he's setting up a liquidity trap. So his firm, his fund has bought a lot of shares in Acne. They want to sell. If they control anywhere up to 5% or more and they sell, they're, they're going to move the market down. They're not going to get a good price. He goes on TV. He tells everyone to buy. 
people start buying, they sell into that FOMO. The same thing has happened with Bitcoin and other cryptos. People start buying big, you see the price go up, you think we're going to the moon, you buy in, then they start selling to you. That's what a liquidity trap is. That's a really good uh, point for us because in the last, well, at least the last uh, two, three years, what I've noticed is a lot of Telegram, Facebook, and all other kinds of groups that are basically just pump and dump groups. So they're not necessarily Bitcoin, they're usually altcoins. And so someone will mention, you know, some really illiquid, low cap altcoin, get into this now, it's going to pump, da, da, da. And of course, that person's already bought, you know, whatever it is at the very bottom. Um, and they, you know, they spread it out on social media or however they do it. And by the time people get in, by the time people find out, they see the price going up, but that person is obviously selling against those people who are buying. So, um, yeah, you have to be really careful about taking advice. Whenever someone says uh, now's a good time to buy, especially if it's uh, CNBC, I usually say, no, it's a good time to sell. Yeah, I think Tone said it best, and I'm not, he, he said it really well. I don't remember verbatim what he said, but he said, if a product is free, then you're the product. Yeah. All right. Now, we could go on forever, but uh, which I'm sure you'd be quite happy to. In fact, I'd be happy to. But uh, considering this is the Bitcoin Basics podcast, and we do advise people to buy Bitcoin, don't try and time the market too much, dollar cost averaging, all that kind of stuff. But if someone wanted to dabble into trading, how do they get started? What should they do? And how much of their life savings should they uh, put into Bitcoin? Oh, yeah. So we do want to re re reiterate, we don't encourage anyone to do this. So with trading, tra trading is about risk management. Um, before I put on my first trade in the conventional markets, I spent 300 hours in education. And that was before I put on my first trade. And the majority of what I'm doing, like the, and when I first started, first six months were 70 hour weeks. So don't think you can tr swing trade, day trade. So the difference between those, sorry, swing trading is you're looking at a daily chart. So I look at my chart today, put my order on, don't look at it till tomorrow. Day trade is I'm checking it out maybe every, you know, couple of hours, four hours a day. Don't do it unless you plan on doing it full time. And risk management comes into play. So the golden rule is um, if your trading account is 100 grand, then of that, you are trading at most $15,000 at a time. So 15%. Each trade is what's called your sleep at night factor. So for me, my rule of thumb is if I had a $15,000 account, my each trade would be 1%. So $1,500 per trade. Now, does that number sound high? Right? I'm thinking, yeah, if I lose $1,500 on one trade, I'm not going to be happy. So, okay, I'll bring that down to, say, 900 That's the sleep at night factor where if you're going to bed and you're thinking about that specific trade, you've sized it too much. You wake up the next day, you check your positions. And if you, the trades that I remember, and I have put in thousands of trades in the last five years, the ones I remember are the ones where I didn't follow my rules. They're the ones where I, I thought, not this trade looks really good. I'm going more in, or I broke my rules. They're the ones I remember. The ones where I made money because I followed rules, I don't remember those because things went according to plan. And the other thing as well is be ready to lose. If you make 50% of your trades are profitable, 
that's what you're aiming for. You're aiming for a 50% strike rate. So half the time you're gonna be losing money. How does that work? For every dollar you lose, you would wanna make $2 on a winning trade. So what I've said is simplify some stuff. There are so many things you should read, but the bottom line is risk management. You just have to learn how to manage your money and there's a full-time job. It's not looking at asset charts on the weekend. It's a full-time job. So moral of the story is just buy and hold your Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we could have started with that because I reckon uh, for the amount of money that I've traded and the amount of uh, sleepless nights and uh, loss of health and complete stress when I see red candles, this is not worth it. So just uh, dollar cost average and uh, buy Bitcoin. Check the price in five yeah, for, years. So for anyone watching, Gordon's actually 25 years old. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> not even that. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.